Hi, welcome to Ed Up Explains with Ashanti Martin. On Ed Up Explains, I bring you a wide variety of topics, explore new perspectives, and encourage everyone to think critically and be more curious. Ed Up Explains is part of the Ed Up Experience Podcast Network. With 15 shows and amazing hosts, the Ed Up Experience Network facilitates positive change and inspires lifelong learning. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Ed Up Explained. Thank you so much for joining me and our guest. I think that you're really going to love this episode. Uh, it's something that everyone uh, can take away. My guest today is Elizabeth Johnson. She is a visual neuroscientist. She is also the executive director and senior fellow at the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, she goes by ZAB, uh, Z-A-B. Those are the three middle letters of Elizabeth and one of the most innovative short names of that name uh, that I know, and I really love it. So hi, Zab, thanks for joining me. Hi, Shanti, it's great to join you here. Thank you. So I am, uh, your work is very fascinating to me, both as uh, someone who's very curious, someone who is very cerebral, um, and also an art lover. And we can get into, we will get into that a little bit later. You recently published an article on Knowledge at Wharton called Perspective Taking, a brain hack that can help you make better decisions. So I just want to start out by asking you to tell me a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing at WIN, which is the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative. Um, and then tell me about perspective taking and what it is. Sure, great. Um, so <laughs> I'm sort of a soup to nuts person at the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative. It's my job to, to think about pushing research in new directions and research at the sort of junction of uh, business, but applying neuroscience within that context. Uh, so one of the most exciting things about my job is, uh, is thinking about the fact that businesses run on brains um, and yet a lot of businesses don't really think about, um, you know, the, about the brains behind their businesses. Uh, that is their people, right? And, um, and how best to um, optimize the people that make up organizations. Um, and also the sort of challenges that people have been applying things like behavioral science and psychology to, but we now have um, techniques uh, and methods which really allow us to get under the hood of uh, of the brain itself and get to the real data, uh, not just um, base it on self-report and what people are willing and able to tell you um, and, uh, and, and act, right? So, so that's one of the things that, that we do. Um, we also sort of push the boundaries of education and business education by uh, helping students not become neuroscientists necessarily, but to understand how neuroscience might be applicable within a business context itself, um, because they are, the students are going to be the next ambassadors out there in the world, really pushing the boundaries of, um, of where the work can go and how businesses can begin to answer challenges uh, that I think have real societal relevance um, and benefit. So, uh, so together I do that with Michael Platt, um, who is a, a Penn Integrates Knowledge Professor at 
Penn, his appointments in marketing and psychology and neuroscience. And so together we sort of are at the helm of, um, you know, forming this, uh, this center uh, to do innovative research um, and to educate the next generation uh, and to do engagement uh, with the public at large. So, uh, so that's a lot of my work. Okay, that's, you know, I, I think I have few people that I know have encountered the work of Wharton Neuroscience Initiative and not been um, just absolutely fascinated by it. It's a great mix of uh, business and personal um, development and science that you really make <clears throat> accessible and uh, easy to apply. And I'll just say quickly, uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about the work that you all do, and we'll talk about the nano tools later in the episode, but um, you know, you show how you can do the work of building your brain and exercise it, and you get the benefit just from going through those um, exercises because your brain remembers. You are working your brain as a, a muscle, and um, just by doing some small tasks of reflecting um, and other exercises, you're, you're improving your ability just to really go through life and make business decisions. So, so with that said, tell me about uh, the, the topic of this article, which is perspective taking. Can you define that for our listeners? Sure. So I think perspective taking in general is being able to, um, you know, put yourself into the place of someone else. Uh, and to imagine how they might perceive and think uh, and strategize uh, about the world around them. And, uh, and it's a skill. Um, sometimes it's termed a soft skill. That's sort of a pet peeve of mine because it just means that we don't quite understand, right, all the underpinnings behind it. Um, I think this, this idea of the differences between soft and hard skills uh, needs to get to some work on uh, that from a lot of different sources. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but perspective taking is really this idea that um, that that if you can do this together, right? If you can if you can begin to to situate and imagine um, a scenario from someone else's viewpoint, uh, that you will likely right come to better solutions uh, as an organization, uh, in your relationships and in your friendships, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and the interesting thing about perspective taking is that it involves certain areas of the brain that we know actually quite a lot about. Um, uh, and and uh, largely, this is, this is a brain area called the temporal parietal junction. That's sort of in the middle of the, uh, like above the ear. Mm -hmm. uh, in the middle on, on both sides. Um, and it is where the temporal and the parietal lobes meet, which is why it's called a junction. Um, and that area is uh, really highly involved when we are mentalizing and thinking about other people, thinking about um, you know, what motivates them, what their actions might be in different contexts. Um, and, and it is sort of the root of, of something that psychologists call theory of mind, which we also know develops in children, you know, around the age of four. 
Um, and so this, this sort of brain area comes to, to play a really large role in perspective taking. Uh, and it's like you said, a little bit like a muscle. So, uh, so we know that there are some situations which seem to have um, bad effects on your ability to mentalize. Um, so one of those things is actually social status um, and uh, being at the top of a hierarchy. Um, so, so you can think of CEOs and leaders um, as perhaps needing to exercise that muscle a little bit more uh, than people who are lower in both the socioeconomic uh, strata, uh, but also organizationally and um, and uh, where where probably an awareness and a situation situational awareness of the others around you becomes really critical. So those people are perhaps more naturally exercising those uh, those brain areas more frequently. Um, so one of the things that we that we wanted to do uh, with this article was to 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 really give a uh, easy exercise that all people could do um, that could, you know, benefit and make those brain areas more plastic, um, you know, to change uh, and, and that there is growing evidence uh, that if you do this and you, you do this routinely, regardless of where you are on that, you know, on that ladder, that's a sort of ladder of society um, that everybody can benefit mm -hmm. from it. Yeah, that's, um, I think that it is you in the article and just now made it really easy to understand. One question I have is, it sounds a lot like empathy. Is there a difference between perspective taking and empathy? Because I think empathy is something that a lot of people are very familiar with just as a term and a concept and how they define themselves. Is there, um, is there something that makes it different from perspective taking? There is. Um, I mean, these are these are complex behaviors, of course, and and I and I don't mean to suggest that you know only one part of the brain is is involved um, with one of these or the other. Um, empathy, right, is is being able to uh, feel uh, you know to some degree someone else's pain, someone else's emotional uh, responses, um, and but it but empathy, like perspective taking, uh, is really a a critical piece of our social cognition. Um, and, and I think it's impossible actually to empathize if one lacks the ability to do perspective taking. So they're linked, but they are not exactly the same. Okay, that makes sense. So it sounds to me, I'm boi maybe boiling it down too simply, but empathy really sounds like emotions and feelings and being able to um, Put yourself in another's shoes in that way and perspective taking uh has a lot to do with a visual you know you are you are a visual neuroscientist so and a lot of what you do centers around art which is also a huge passion of mine so uh how does perspective taking uh, work hand in hand with um you know how we um, taken visual, our visual experience and the visual experience of others? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I mean, I think, I think one of the things that uh, is natural and uh, also puzzling, right, is this idea that we think, we think we see the world the way that it is, um, but really we're constructing it. I mean, this is not, 
sort of like, this is the matrix, right? <laughs> um, but uh, no, but really like our brains are, are working really hard to construct our sense of, of our environment around us. Um, humans are very, very visual. Um, that doesn't mean that, that perspective taking is entirely visual. Um, but but when we often use the word imagining, right, there's sort of that inner eye kind of sense of, of imagining uh, and visualizing uh, inside. Um, but it's, uh, you know, so so I think those are those are linked aspects. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting and one of the reasons that I that I find art uh, in perspective taking as a really valuable kind of enterprise to think about um, is how art can sort of uh, become a new, new context for a lot of people. So, so I use art in exercises to encourage perspective taking. Um, and it's sort of what I ask people to do is sort of lose the baggage of thinking that they need to be art experts um, or know anything about art um, or even like art. Um, but think of it as sort of a new visual uh, context, you know, and, and a neutral one, right, where, where people can come in with curious eyes um, and open minds um, and sort of a beginner's landscape and, uh, and begin to learn from each other about how actually different uh, people's uh, perceptions are about the world around them and what they see. Um, so as, as you actually look um, you know, with, with a group of people at an artwork, um, it is rarely entirely, you know, a one-to-one -one representation of, of something that's interpretable, right? And, uh, and so there are ambiguities and some, you know, murkiness and mysteries um, that have to be resolved um, and decided on. And each person comes with their own sort of experience and background and knowledge uh, into that space and uh, and through conversation, I think become much more aware of how different um, the perspectives of others can be in a context that doesn't feel threatening. Um, it's not a classroom. It is not a work, you know, challenge. Um, it is not an office meeting. Um, and, uh, and in this particular context, everybody is a beginner. So nobody is an expert. Yeah. Um, and, and I find that, that 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 is quite transformational for teams uh, to go through uh, and do. And it, uh, and it reminds us a little bit about the brain's processing and how hard it's working to resolve those ambiguities and make us uh, see, you know, see and interpret the world around us the way that it does and how much value there is actually in, in adding other people's uh, own insights into that, uh, into that decision-making process. Yeah, just thinking about it now, um, you know, I, I would, if I were to engage in an exercise like that, I think it would be literally impossible after I've um, heard or tried to put myself in someone else's shoes to see things the way they're seeing them. It would be impossible for me to let that go and, you know, kind of compartmentalize it and just set it aside. Um, you know, I, I literally don't know how I could get my brain to do that. I do want to talk about um, different personality types. You mentioned that um, people who are in higher levels and have to do a lot of re relational work could benefit from these types of exercises. 
you know, I'm a creative, you know, a lot of my friends and colleagues are creative, we're marketers, we're journalists, designers, artists. And, you know, that, that, so what you're describing with perspective taking, I think for a lot of, for certainly me and a lot of people I know feels like something that is a default, you know, I read about it and I say, well, I, I got that. That's all I do. All I, I take too much perspective. In fact, you know, and I, now that you're talking about the areas of the brain that I'm working, I'm like, is that why I always have headaches like at the base of my head? And, you know, because, you know, I'm always living in that world, but for people like that, um, how can, how does this knowledge and these exercises, how can they benefit? Even though they might feel like, yeah, I'm an empathetic person. I, I, I view other, I can see the world through other people's eyes. Um, how does, how can we use that? I, I think that regardless of where you, so, so we know that there's sort of a continuum of, of abilities, right, with social cognition. Um, you know, there are people that definitely have uh, social cognition deficits, right? Those are, those, are, um, those are often pretty highlighted right now um, as adverse um, in society. Um, and, uh, and a lot of work has gone into trying to sort of solve some of those uh, issues, make, make people be able to be, you know, more so socially aware. Um, and to people that are really, really, you know, highly empathetic and, uh, and, uh, and can easily, right, um, manage relationships and, um, and community building. And they sort of seem, seem like they sort of glide through that very naturally. Um, and, you know, most of us are somewhere, somewhere in actually in the middle, right? Um, and, and you can think of it, you know, you can sort of think of social cognition as, as having some basis um, from, from what you're born with, that sort of that idea of, of what's, um, you know, genetically captured um, and some assortment of that. But, but some of it is actually very malleable. Uh, and can change. Now you can't, you know, you can't change someone who's maybe set at, with their dial at five to a ten or an eleven. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, and you, you know, you, you you might not be able to get that, but you might be able to get someone to from a five to a seven or an eight, right? Um, and someone from a three to a six. Um, so, so I think that that sort of concept of thinking about the fact that it is something that requires some exercising of your brain, just like learning and memory and other aspects of, of changing our own uh, brain circuitry throughout our lifetimes. Um, you know, it is yet something else that, uh, that can really benefit um, from, from going through some of this and, uh, and sort of a reminder that one doesn't always do perspective taking um, and, uh, and that there may be contexts where your work and your life are actually making that less and less possible. Yeah. Um, and so I think thinking about it as an exercise for everyone, right, regardless of whether a set point is, is actually something of real value. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, when you talk about, you know, work and life, I have often found that if I'm engaging in a lot of, I would not have labeled it perspective taking, but I, I might have labeled it empathy or sort of emotional labor. If I'm doing a lot of that in one sphere, I can do much less of it in the other sphere. Um, which has always just been a little interesting to me. Um, I want to read, uh, often what I do uh, when I have guests on the show is I'll just read an excerpt from, from something, uh, from the uh, piece that we're talking about. So I'm going to read a paragraph from 
the article that was published uh, on Knowledge at Wharton, and then we can talk about it. <clears throat> Based on the premise that perspective-taking ability can be improved through practice, in 2018, SEB, a Swedish corporate bank, launched a cutting-edge initiative the aim is to enhance perspective-taking skills and to apply them to SEB's most important business challenges, featured in Amy Edmondson's case study, Leading Culture Change at SEB, link in the article. Since then, many leaders within SEB have participated in a systematic group training process to build perspective-taking skills. According to the case study, the ability to solve problems and make decisions improved as did inclusion, cross-collaboration, and risk management. Okay, a couple of things I wanna say about this paragraph um, before I throw it back to you. One is Amy Edmondson um, is uh, her research and writings on psychological safety changed my life. And um, really in some ways I would say at moments saved my life. Um, so, I will definitely be reading this link. And I just wanted to mention that because I do feel that, um, you know, you anchoring this in her work uh, lends, um, you know, it, 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 it makes me see how this can relate to a person, Justin, as they're trying to wade through these issues in their professional life. Second, you mentioned that uh, inclusion uh, improved as part of this case study. And that's obviously a um, word that we hear and see all of the time, both from individuals who want to see more inclusion and from companies who um, have challenges with inclusion or want to do better. So can you talk a little bit about inclusion, what it means in this context, and what was the improvement um, that was discovered in this case study. Right. So, uh, so this is this is work that uh, that we have embarked upon with uh, with Per Hugender, who is uh, who has been sort of leading the charge with the Swedish bank SEB. Um, and and this is this idea that if you can go through this, especially with a um, uh, a group of colleagues. Um, you may actually be able to enhance teamwork and productivity uh, and this idea of psychological safety or security in groups in order for people to, to, to be willing to uh, share aspects of their work that, that might be challenging um, and might organizationally um, make them more able to mitigate risk um, just because things are not hidden uh, from the organization um, and, uh, and, and problems can be then tackled together. And so in large part, this is what this exercise was, uh, was framed to do. And I think a lot of, a lot of um, people sometimes in, in businesses are really reluctant to, to do something like perspective taking because they feel like they have to share personal information and they don't always want to do that at work. And so one of the really uh, innovative creative aspects of, of the work that we did with Pear, right, is, um, is to make sure that, um, that, that the challenges that these teams were actually facing and were talking about were in a work context. Um, and so people were sharing things that 
didn't necessarily feel challenging in their personal lives and as individuals, but, but things that they could share with their colleagues. Um, and this idea of inclusion was really critical because it, it, it meant that there was more awareness of, um, of the different voices around the table, um, which, uh, which we have evidence from other kinds of experiments leads to um, um, uh, reaching consensus more rapidly um, and optimizing decision-making. So, so not necessarily groupthink, but actually optimal um, choice you know, amongst teams and decision-making. Um, and, uh, and that you know, this idea of, of a more equitable aspect of turn-taking during discussions um, and not just making the, you know, the people that have the highest um, positions in power um, take up most of most of the time in this space. Um, and I think this is this idea of, of inclusion, right, within all the contexts that we uh, think about it uh, is really, really, really critical. Um, and, and that, you know, this idea that there is value, but not only value, but, but that, um, that is, you're aggregating way more evidence if you hear uh, and listen to the perspectives of people who are around you. Um, fascinating. I think that um, there are people who respond to things when they are presented with evidence. So in order to um, appeal to broad a variety of, of thinkers and cultural perspectives, I think this is um, really practical. However, I also, while feeling practical, I also know that this seems like really the hardest work. Um, and uh, so I think I appreciate you applying the discipline of neuroscience to it because, um, you know, those, th that kind of work is not easy. It's not easy. Um, but there are ways that people can, can start. So having said that, I wanna talk about the nano tool. Um, so Wharton Neuroscience Initiative, I know partners frequently um, and develops a lot of content and curriculum for Wharton executive education. And one of those things uh, is a, are quick tools that anyone can access. You don't have to um, participate in any executive ed programming. Uh, you can find nano tools for leaders. And these are short 15 minute uh, exercises and tools that people can use. And the nano tool for this perspective taking exercise involves essentially people sitting down, um, thinking about, like you said, imagining a situation in the last two weeks in which uh, they uh, tried to, to see something from another person's perspective and then uh, reflecting on that, and then doing the same for a situation that you might um, uh, might encounter in the following two weeks. And the third part is doing this with a group, which you say in the nano tool that you don't necessarily have to do this part, that there's still value in doing the exercises. What I like about this is that you're explaining the nano tool, just by going through this exercise, your brain will become more flexible. So tell me about um, one, one way you've seen this exercise uh, put into practice and make, make a difference. 
Well, the uh, you know the the sort of proof is from from the evidence that's amassing uh, with our partnership with SEB. Um, so so they are they've been looking uh, at how this exercise over a very you know long stretch, including uh, work uh, throughout the pandemic, um, has has affected uh, teams and teams that have been engaging in these exercises and doing it more frequently um, are uh, are. Um, better performing teams overall um, and have been consistently even through the pandemic, um, which, you know, I think it made a lot of teamwork really challenging um, with the shift to remote work and um, less face to face and small talk kinds of things. And so that's that's one of I think that's one of the, the best you know pieces of evidence so far. Um, I think the kinds of exercises that that we talked about that I lead uh, at the Barnes Foundation is another aspect where where people there's where people um, begin to uh, dismantle uh, some of their expectations uh, and their listening skills and their communication skills with others um, that I have seen. You know, I don't have any neuroscience data yet on it, but but I have seen it start to shift uh, teamwork. Um, from that point forward as well, um, building these environments that are, you know, that are more psychologically safe um, for people to take risks, even though the exercise itself um, is, is really not, you know, it's not work bound, right? It's not, um, it's not a work context. So um, it's just a reminder, I think that, that, you know, that we don't all have to learn the mechanisms that, that are changing within the brain. Um, and these things can be actually simplified. So you don't have to like measure something from the brain itself um, to sort of know that it's working. Um, you, you can do something that, that seems sort of um, natural, right? Um, as an exercise um, and, and things that, that people do do, I think in organizations, but they don't necessarily know why or you know, what it's really doing or maybe how even to optimize it. Yeah. So that's our goal with these nano tools is to is to give people tools that they can just, you know, right off the bat use um, and, and don't feel like they're, you know, they're burdened with having to have a lot of expertise or, you know, crazy, uh, you know, crazy methods um, or anything like that, um, but yet can still be really effective um, at, at changing people uh, and changing people's brain activity. Yeah, I really, we were talking just before we started the recording about the emphasis on productivity versus innovation and um, what, what our conversation and these exercises, for me, they, they validate a lot is that, you know, that kind of reflection and stepping back is, is productive, you know, even if it's not categorized as such, uh, just the idea of sitting down, reflecting and writing are actually um, making change and um, improving how you're able to relate to others and make people feel valued and really hear their perspectives. So, you know, I like it because I am um, very short on time and, uh, you know, it, to me, the deliverable is the doing you know, is doing the work and then, and that's, you're getting something out of just doing what, for me at least, is a very enjoyable exercise. So, um, so I want to wrap things up and I want to give you the opportunity to tell me more about the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative and particularly how anyone who's listening 
um, whether they're a solopreneur or manager or CEO or, or um, you know, a cog in the wheel, um, like so many of us, but, uh, you know, how they can engage with the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative. There are many, many ways. Um, so the sort of lowest hanging fruit for this would be to just go onto our website and scroll down to the bottom and join our um, our mailing list. Uh, and then you sort of get up-to-date uh, news about what we're up to, um, and, but without an onslaught of, of information, um, uh, just a, just a, every quarter or so, a, an e-news and some highlights. Um, so that's, that's super easy, but you also learn about the events that we hold, all of our events, um, you know, whether they're, there are over Zoom uh, or in person on campus of University of Pennsylvania or a hybrid as I think we might um, pursue in the future um, are free and open to the public. That's a really, really important aspect of, of, of our engagement and outreach, I think. So, um, so that's one thing. Also, you know, we, we lead a, uh, an annual summit in normal times, which is usually a, a half day or one day program. Uh, talking about a concept or a theme um, that has uh, perspectives from neuroscience that that have application within business. Um, so that's that's sort of a nice uh, kind of event where people can learn more um, and aren't so academically focused uh, like seminars uh, are. Um, and so that's that's another way uh, we. Uh, have a corporate partnership program, um, so 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 we can engage in thought leadership and embark on a uh, on problem solving organizationally um, together um, with companies. And so, if there are uh, people at the helm of of companies that are interested in doing that, um, please just get in touch with me, uh, and you can find my information again on the on the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative website, um, which is just neuro.wharton.upenn.edu. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, we have educational opportunities for lifelong learners as well, um, as you already uh, highlighted. Um, some of those are in our nano tools that are within executive education. Um, some of that is in, uh, is in the articles that, we, um, that we'd like to put out there. Um, and, uh, and some of that is uh, in formal educational contexts like uh, executive education. Um, so all of that is, uh, is possible. And if you have ideas, uh, we're also uh, all ears. So, so um, we, we ourselves like to be a really inclusive um, center. Um, and we often learn about uh, the challenges and the things that are of most interest to people uh, when they reach out to us. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, uh, and I, you know, full disclosure, I worked at Wharton and had the opportunity to work directly with you several times. And every time I did, I always, uh, I got that vibe, you know, um, you always uh, let people know from the very beginning that uh, this was an open space uh, place for experimentation, innovation, and really just um, very few limits, which I think is uh, the biggest quote unquote selling point uh, when people think about business school, especially elite business school, I don't think that's necessarily the connotation that they get. So, so I've always thought you were doing something very revolutionary, always fascinating. And um, really, I just wanted an opportunity to use the word 
engaged since it's been about a year since I worked in higher ed and I, I have not used um, that term or other hallmark higher ed terms in a while. So, um, so that was a, a nice uh, hearkening back. So um, thank you Zab so much. Please check out the Wharton Neuroscience Initiative website at neuro.wharton.upenn.edu, like Zab mentioned. And um, please, will you, my last question is, would you join us again in the future? Absolutely. It was such a pleasure, Shanti, as it always is, to talk with you. Awesome. Thanks, Zab. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Ed Up Explain. I have a huge favor to ask. Huge for me, small for you. Please favorite or heart or follow Ed Up Explained wherever you listen to your podcasts. Go to Apple Podcasts if you like this show and leave a great review. And finally, let me know if this show is not coming up on your favorite podcast platform. I will make sure to fix that because I don't want anything to get in the way of me bringing you the most interesting topics and interesting people. So please subscribe to EdUp Explained so you won't miss when I drop the next episode. And again, go to edupexplained.com and find more great podcasts from this incredible educational podcast network. Thank you for listening to EdUp Explained. This is Ashanti Martin.